welcome to another edition of STT Interviews. My name is Elizabeth, and today, Lauren, Daniel, and I are thrilled to get the chance to sit down with Abraham Ben Ruby. Mr. Ben Ruby is better known to the ER fans as Unit Service Coordinator Jerry Markovic, making 137 appearances throughout 12 seasons of the show. Mr. Ben Ruby, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. It's my pleasure, and I uh, really appreciate you guys' uh, enthusiasm and interest <laughs> in the show, even after all these years. Yeah. Uh, so get, to kick us off, how did you get your start in acting? Uh, I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana, and um, I had always kind of been the kind of kid who would be pretending to be Spider-Man or Bilbo Baggins wandering around the forests of our, our city parks there. Um, and... I think I was daydreaming in class one day when the teacher suggested to my mom that I should maybe try uh, uh, doing some some theater. And so I was sent to um, Indianapolis Civic Theater and I started taking classes there. And uh, I think the very first thing I ever had to memorize was the Jabberwock by, uh, uh, by the author of Alice in Wonderland, whose name escapes me. Um, but uh, I kind of fell in love with that because I was such an uh, already fantasy nerd at that point. And I was, you know, whacking around an imaginary sword, <laughs> slaying this monster uh, in my mind and performing it in front of a bunch of other kids. And it was super fun. So that is authentically how I started acting. <laughs> but as far as um, doing it professionally, what happened was I went to a high school with a performing arts uh, program annexed on. And there was a, a production uh, of an anti-drug PBS after-school special kind of thing uh, called Private Victories. Which I'm betting your <laughs> listeners can still look up and embarrass me with later in life. Um, and then a movie from Hollywood came, uh, and they had seen this little six-episode uh, <laughs> Private Victories for some reason. And they saw me, and I was like a big bully uh, in the in the uh, in the anti-drug thing. <laughs> and they had a part for the you know the bad guys henchmen, high school henchmen. <laughs> and so I auditioned, and uh, I got the part. And they wrote me into uh, they wrote a lot more for me in that movie. And the director, a fellow named Strath Hamilton, Australian guy, uh, suggested that I'd come out to Hollywood and meet his agents. Uh, I flew out there. I was in L.A. for two weeks. I met his agent. They signed me up. Uh, I went back to Indiana. I worked at a pizza restaurant for about six months and saved up two grand to move to California, nice. which I don't think they even let you across the state line anymore with only two grand. <laughs> so <laughs> that was, uh, I arrived in Hollywood September 4th, 1989. Wow. That was a very long answer. There you no, go. We, no, we, we love great. the long answers. Yeah. Feel free. So September 4th, 89, so that would have made you how old when you moved here? Or moved 19, there? about to turn 20. Wow. Yep. Scary. I'm trying to imagine Couldn't myself doing that. Been, it was great. <laughs> so uh, what kind of led you to getting involved? I mean, this is obviously jumping ahead a couple of years, but what led to you getting involved with ER? What was that audition process like? And then what was your impressions of Jerry kind of the first time you read the character on the page? Mm-hmm. Um, I had auditioned for our casting director John Levy and John Wells uh, for China Beach a couple of times and I had never gotten the part uh, which is very normal and um, when they were casting ER John Levy had something like 250 roles to cast in the pilot the two-hour pilot movie 
and so he just kind of went out to actors that he knew could do what needed to be done and and already had enough experience to just show up and do good work mm-hmm. and I luckily was um, afforded that opportunity by him uh, and John Wells and we did the two it, it was actually I'm sure you've heard already that it was originally supposed to just be a two-hour movie right and somewhere along the line during the production somebody realized that they had something magical and uh, it turned it into uh, t- um, what it became Obviously, you were there from the very beginning. So what was the experience like filming the pilot episode? And did you have any sense at all about the crazy 15-year ride you were about to take? Oh, well, I, and I didn't answer the last part of your question. Either, oh, which was, sorry. Oh, no, that's, no, okay. that's okay. What did I think about Jerry? Uh, but that can all go hand in hand. So for me, the thing I love about acting is to get as far away from real life as possible. <laughs> I never wanted to be... I never wanted the real life job of answering phones and pushing paperwork. <laughs> so for me, Jerry was like, oh, God, I guess I'm going to do this guy uh, a little bit at the beginning. And then it turned out to be really fun. And what what winds up happening is as you get to know the people that you're working with on any uh, TV show, movie, etc., or any business, really, uh, is you just wind up starting to like people and it makes you want to. Uh, be a part of that and then as you see other actors work and they're uh, really good <laughs> then I sort of turned my attitude around and I was like okay well maybe I better really invest a little more uh, into this and so it became a really fun uh, project uh, I hadn't really worked with the Steadicam uh, too much at that point so I was really fascinated by that device mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a really fun thing to watch them uh, choreograph those amazing, super long 13-page shots, you know. Uh, so I was, I became a fan of the show while I was filming it. Were, were you one of the few casts that actually would watch as it was coming out? Because we've had a lot of people say they like did not touch it at all other than filming it. Um, you know, it's funny. There's just so many episodes. I... Mm-hmm. I certainly, uh, I certainly watched it the first season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't recall if I saw every single episode on the night oh, it yeah. aired. Oh god! But uh, you know they used to give us VHS copies <laughs> of the show if we wanted. So I've probably seen a majority of the first five years, and then after that, I kind of a I didn't own a TV for four or five years, and just didn't really watch anything. And then, yeah. uh, and I'm just not a huge TV watcher in general, so. Mm. I watched, uh, for instance, the episode where Clooney's in the rain and saves the boy. Uh, I mean, there were there were certain yeah. episodes that we knew were going to be like, this is an amazing moment of television. Better check it out. Yeah. yeah. So you were um, you were talking about how like kind of halfway through or, or at some point during the production of the pilot, they sort of realized that this would probably work best as a TV show and, and make it a kind of a recurring thing. So when you finished filming. Uh, your part of filming that episode did you kind of just go like well that was fun I did that cool and then on to other things or were you thinking like we might actually have something here and I might have a job for you know the next however many years well (laughs) (laughs) because of the way it was booked there was no guarantee of a job regardless Mm -hmm. what happened um and in fact I 
all 15 seasons or all 12 that I was involved in, I was what's considered a guest star. And you see that in the credits. And mm. unfortunately, I saw it in my bank account. Which oh. is <laughs> totally grateful for what I did get. But, uh, uh, you know, not, uh, it didn't make me rich. So right. I wasn't expecting to be a series regular at any point. I, I you know, I was there to support those, the storylines of those, the six to eight, you know, stars of the show that we had. Right. Um, and I actually prefer that because then you don't have to do, I didn't have to do much publicity. I don't have to talk to very many people about the show. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Until, until we uh, come bothering you 15 company, years so, later. Yeah. No, you're not, you're not, you're not. <laughs> I like talking about it more now than I did back then. Right. So obviously over those 15 years and 12 seasons, you saw a lot of different iterations of the cast come and go. Is there one group in particular that stands out as your favorite? I mean, you can't compare any of the iterations to the mm -hmm. first, the first three to five years, right? Yep. You're never, never on another project ever are you going to have that kind of chemistry because every actor is a human and individual and they all knew what they had. George Clooney became a star because he knew what he needed to do with the success of ER to propel himself beyond that. Uh, and he did it really, really well. If you go back to, I'm sure it's all online at this point, but if you go back to like People Magazine, 1994, there might have been like a little blurb in the corner. Oh, new hospital show. But if you go back to 1995, it's George Clooney on every magazine ever. <laughs> yeah, right. And that was intentional. And he knew how to do it. And it really worked for him. And nobody I've met in show business deserves his, that level of success more than him. He's the kind of guy who would roll around the studio lot on a golf cart. <laughs> and he'd see an executive and he'd be like, Hey, Steve, how's your daughter Mary? Did she make her gymnastics thing? And when are we golfing again? I was like, how do you know who all these people are and all their <laughs> stuff? And he's like, that's what I do. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. So the original incarnation of the show obviously has the biggest uh, softest spot in my heart. But I think they really added some wonderful uh, cast members throughout the years. Maura Tierney is one of the greatest living actors in America. Linda Cardellini obviously has gone on to do some really great things, and you know she's the wife of of Hawkeye or something like that in the Avengers. <laughs> yep, <laughs> a small role. Yeah, um, it's fine. Yeah, and uh, I'm just I'm really proud of everybody who went through the show. Didn't really get a big ego, and has mm -hmm. gone on to do some really really great showbiz projects. So I just wanted to follow up with just. One little thing you talked. So you talked about that chemistry from the early seasons. Was that sort of was, was the sort of abrupt departure of Sherry Stringfield? You know, did that? How did that affect that chemistry? Do you think? When did she leave? Uh, mid early season three. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. So, <clears throat> what happens when you're a series regular on a successful show is it eats all your time, mm -hmm. all of it. You're there at you know, for the women especially, you're there at 4.20 in the morning. That's maybe an odd reference, but there we go. Uh, let's say 5 a.m. Yeah, <laughs> there at 5 a.m. You're in makeup for a half hour to an hour, maybe only a half hour on the ER, uh, if you're not shot up or cut or whatever. Um, and 
you know, at that point, she'd made enough money to just walk away, I guess. Uh, <laughs> it changed the dynamic. Already the dynamic had changed because of the success. Now there's a responsibility. Mm-hmm. Now there's, you've got 40 million people watching you and you've got a, you know, it's the number one show on the network. It's the number one show on TV in season three. And that is a big weight to carry for everybody involved in the production. You know, the writers have to up their game there. You know, they have to tell even more tear-jerking tales and, and really... Um... So I understand why Sherry walked away uh, and she came back because, you know... Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. Oh, man. Uh, but, uh, you know, we can get to that more too. It's I was always amazed that Eric LaSalle and, and uh, Juliana both left. You know, they were offered millions and millions of dollars and I just go back to the beginning of my answer, which was a series regular job eats your life mm-hmm. so sometimes people get dissatisfied so ob- obviously jerry the, was kind of the focus of the show's lighter funnier moments you were bringing kind of the levity in so from accidentally blowing up the ambulance bay with a grenade launcher to tracking an escaped kangaroo through chicago even helping disimpact a horse on a recent episode we just watched uh, <laughs> were there ever any times that you came into work thinking, what the hell are they going to have me do next? Every time. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, and, it, and it, what a treat to be used mm-hmm. in that way. You know, uh, somebody had posted recently on one of the social medias uh, that I had done a Shakespearean monologue. I had zero recollection of that. Yep. yep. <laughs> I do remember that one. Uh, yes. I remember that. And uh, quite well, I mean, actually, too. Yeah, look, like I said, I never wanted the job of answering phones and pushing papers, so it was <laughs> way more fun for me to chase a kangaroo than it was to <laughs> hand Dr. Ross another five. Sure. I just remembered, yeah, like for the first few seasons, there was the regular thing of Jerry leaving. He'd have his cigar in his mouth and be like, All right, guys, I'm out, bye. And that that's kind of gone away, but yeah, the um, yeah. Definitely. The other thing that has come up a lot is Jerry has been dubbed on our podcast, at least Sweet Baby Jerry, because we always feel so bad for whatever trouble they're about to get you in. And it's just he's a bystander of his own his own making. And he's just along for the ride, it seems, half the time. But it's, it's oh. brilliantly performed and very, comes across very genuine when when you do it. So that's very kind to say, you know, and they gave me some great uh, villains. Right. Laura Ennis. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> and Paul Crane. Yep. Uh, are, first of all, those two are just, Paul McCrane, I, I hope you get to talk to him because that guy memorized more words than I've ever seen anyone memorize in my entire life. <laughs> uh, and he was great at it. And they did weird stuff to him too. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, I, it's so funny. It, it it really just comes down to if you work with people you like, if you respect the people you're working with, and you respect the 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 writing and, uh, on a show, it just changes everything about what for me what I'm able to bring to the role mm-hmm. because there's a there's a confidence and a safety and a and a comfort in it at that point uh, you know a few years into it where. I'm not waking up sweating, going, oh my gosh, do I know my lines? Because I know we're going to do 18 rehearsals and I'll have plenty of time to do, to learn the lines. So, 
And in that same vein, how did you approach trying to inject comedic relief into a show that was known for its fast-paced dramatic tone? Was it ever a challenge to get that timing right? Um, I wouldn't say it was a challenge per se. I, I think that, again, I was super grateful to not be, to not have to cry or tell some mom that her kid wasn't going to live. I didn't, I don't, uh, I prefer to make people laugh. And uh, even if it's just a chuckle, you know. And I, f I think the writers really observed how we were in real life and used aspects of that in their in their characterizations. Uh, and I, I don't really take very much seriously, especially <laughs> myself. Uh, <laughs> so I think they saw that and that enabled them to write stuff that was more, um, well, what do I want to say? That was lighter. They needed that. Mm -hmm. You can't spend... I mean, I guess you can, because I just, somebody just said they watched all 15 years back to back. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I could not watch that much misery. <laughs> there's just so much death and, and depression. And there's, I won't say depression. There's a lot of right. sadness on ER that turns into something that's good for your heart. But man, to go through that, it's rough. I'm I'm very glad on our project here that we're doing one maybe two episodes a week because when we first did our rewatches a couple of few years ago we were doing like two a day maybe and it was it was a lot <laughs> a lot it's, it's wonderful but yeah you're right that 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 much catharsis in such a compact amount of time can really be too much <laughs> <laughs> a couple hours no problem you yeah. know five episodes a night that's rough no i'm good <laughs> you could learn to play piano in the in the <laughs> amount of time it takes to watch the entire series of er you could become a master of the piano don't tell all the people all the other things they could be doing instead of listening to each other. you're killing our audience here i wasn't trying to kill the <laughs> podcast oh so one of the best pairings in the show was between yourself and troy evans's frank martin what are your memories of working with Troy, and why do you think the comedic dynamic between the two of you work so well? Uh, because I love him. Um, <laughs> I was already a fan of his, so I, after the fifth season, I like a you know like the big star I was. I decided I would walk away from ER because I needed a break, and then I didn't work for like three years. I worked eight days in three years as an actor. And when I came back, they had replaced Jerry with Frank, uh, Troy Evans. And I saw him, and I had seen him in many, many films. I was a huge fan of Twin Peaks, and he played the principal of the mm -hmm. school of Twin Peaks. And that enough, that for me enough, was enough for me to be a fan. And so when I saw him, I was like, you're an asshole, almost immediately. <laughs> And I explained to him that I was a huge fan of him, and he's always the asshole in those movies. He's the bad, you're the grumpy cop or whatever. Uh, and so he he got it right. He wasn't offended. He said, "Oh yeah, well you're a jerk, and you're lucky <laughs> I stepped in to fill your shoes." And you know the right again, the writers saw that and they incorporated that into um, into our characters. And I had so much fun with him. He and Deezer D and I would make fun of everybody else on the show. <laughs> oh my god, we would laugh so hard. Oh man, there's a great episode with where Frank and Jerry are competing Santa Clauses, um, <laughs> and so we were both in these 
uh, unbearably hot, stinky, old oh. Warner Brothers mothballed <laughs> Santa outfit. <laughs> and just miserable. It's so, the, the stage was really hot. They never let any fresh air in. So, <laughs> oh. does anybody else tell you that? Oh, no, no, actually. Actually, yeah, it hasn't oh, come I've heard of that. It was stinky. It was like, <laughs> imagine if, uh, it, you know, you've all at some point probably been in a locker room at a gym or mm-hmm. high school or whatever. Imagine if they never opened the doors, windows, oh. or turned on the air conditioning oh. in such a place. Uh, the ER stage was stinky and dusty. It's probably because they didn't want anybody knowing what you guys were doing. Oh, yeah. Big, big top secret Hollywood project. <laughs> That's right. Um, I think it was just because one of the great things about ER was they were always lit. We never waited hours and hours for them to light any scene because they had designed the stage in a way where we could just literally walk in and throw a switch and we're ready to go. And that saved us a a boatload of time uh, and money and made it really easier for our crew to have a, a little bit of a shorter day and go home and be with their families. So the air was stinky. Troy and I are in these hot you know, ancient, dusty Santa outfits. And we're both just sitting there looking at each other like, Ugh, <laughs> I can only be the actor's life for me. Copyrighted. But uh, man, glamour, the glamour of Hollywood. Troy Evans, I'm neighbors with him almost. We live in the same neighborhood. I think he mentioned that when we spoke to him. Um, oh my God, it was January of last yeah, long, year already. Yeah. That's insane. Feels like, feels like a but, decade ago, but yeah, he was. He he actually yeah. went out of his way to like talk about how much he loved you and how you were one of the smartest people he ever worked with, and like he was. He was like he's he's the most interesting person I've ever met. I think was the way he said it. <laughs> that is not even remotely true, but he's a very kind man. I'll just I'll reply by saying that Troy is the lumpiest human. <laughs> oh. I love him. He's great. I, his Instagram's great. I love all the pictures of his garden. Oh, yeah. amazing! Just, his wife what I, amazing ironwork. Really cool. That's yeah. what I live for. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you have kind of done it all in the industry some of our favorites being twister george of the jungle and your voice work in diablo 3 and world of warcraft how did your experience on the er set compare and contrast with that of the other productions you've worked on man well as like i said you know it was a lot easier to just come on we were already lit so you just show up twister was a nightmare uh, <laughs> no, we just watched it yesterday. Don't tell us that. <laughs> they turned into a pretty good movie, but man, was it a tough shoot! It was. Uh, we were trapped in a little tiny town in Oklahoma, and it, it, we were in Ponca City, Oklahoma. It was the first place at this nineteen ninety. Oh, nineteen ninety four, nineteen ninety. Oh, in like ninety five. Okay, wait, something you like talk that. About, it's an ER podcast, but it's a pretty interesting. <laughs> no, please, no, please, we brought please, it up. For, go for it. Um, I drove from LA to Oklahoma City. We had two weeks of learning about weather from the NOAA, from the NOAA, uh, which I don't remember what the acronym means, but the weather service, let's say. And I was in, I was on the road, I was in Flagstaff, uh, uh, spent the night in Flagstaff, woke up in the morning and Timothy McVeigh had bombed the Oklahoma City um, federal building. Um, and they were, they didn't know who it was at that time, but they were on the lookout for a large white man in a silver bronco. Oh, no. 
And guess what? <gasps> I'm driving to Oklahoma City. My silver Bronco. Oh, no. <laughs> so, I never got in any trouble, but I was definitely like, that was how Twister started for me. <laughs> and then uh, and then we moved to Ponca City, which was the first town in America that I had ever been to, where Walmart and McDonald's had destroyed the old mm. mom and pop downtown. So that was a really tough... Uh, a tough thing to swallow at that time um and then the movie's just really hard i mean it's a lot of you know stuff blowing in your face and uh long takes and a tyrannical director uh yonda bond that guy <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast you guys <laughs> but that being said i met a lot of cool people on that you know philip seymour hoffman uh, uh you know uh Carrie Elways. Oh, Carrie Elways, like... exactly. Uh, uh, Bill, oh my gosh. Yeah, a lot of great actors on that movie. Um, and I still I still see a few of them every now and then. I'll still run into uh, Patrick Fischler, who was in that. He's done a ton of stuff since then. You can look him up. Uh, and that was an experience that we all survived. <laughs> uh, and that's a different kind of experience than ER. ER felt very safe. You knew you weren't going to ever, you were never in danger of, they're never going to let you look like a jerk, right? They're going to, if you flub your line, they're going to do it again. Twister was not that. Twister was like, if you, and this went for everybody, even Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt, if they did something bad, Jan DeBont would yell at them and, and then say, fuck it, I'm not even doing this shot. Let's move on. Wow. Just a different experience. Different experience. Holy cow. Weird. So ER was a lovely, safe home uh, where you could just do the work. Yeah, we've kind of heard from other people that ER sort of ruined them for other productions. Like, that they were like, ER was so organized and so, like, ready to go that, like, they would go to other things and they'd stand around for eight hours and be like, this is not what I'm used to. Oh, totally. Totally. But almost everybody who worked on ER had done an independent film at some point so they, you know what you're getting into right Right. Mm -hmm. it's like it's not always going to be that organized ER had more money than than any production probably up until modern times mm -hmm. I mean we were I don't know what the budget was but they had carte blanche at Warner Brothers while we were in production and at least I would hope that doing voice work for Blizzard would, would also have been relatively comfortable. I would help. Oh, I love. I, I was uh, I was a total World of Warcraft junkie, uh, <laughs> and I didn't actually wind up doing any voices on it until I had quit playing. Um, I I love doing voiceover. I have this fancy microphone that you're hearing. It's a lovely Neumann <laughs> TLM one hundred three. Um, <laughs> which has enabled me to work through the pandemic. Excellent. Uh, I work on a, a Nickelodeon animated show called It's Pony. Uh, and I mm -hmm. play this sort of grumpy dad of a girl on her pony. <laughs> and when uh, COVID hit, they sent me a laptop and I bought a microphone and I was able to work through the pandemic uh, doing voiceover, which has really saved me financially and creatively and uh, emotionally and spiritually. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> I have something to do, not just sitting in my lovely house and 
waiting to get COVID. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we lucked out. A lot of people had the free time to talk to us because of the pandemic. That was probably the only good thing that came out of it. But um, yeah, Elizabeth and I, we, we played a ton of Diablo 3 when we first started dating. And we, when we realized that you had voiced Urzael... Yeah. We watched that clip last night, and we were like, what? It just totally freaked us out. And I, I'm a huge Blizzard junkie. I have a World of Warcraft tattoo since I was 19. So oh, nice. just, just excellent like voice work. Yeah. Ten, thank you very cool. much. I'm the, I'm the baby of the show. But well, my favorite still. World of Warcraft, or my favorite Blizzard, I, I have the voice of Diablo in Heart, mm-hmm. uh, Heroes of the Storm. Yep. And man, that's super fun. The woman who is the director of most of the voice work, uh, her name is An- Andrea Toyas, and she just lets us play and is, I mean, she's super cool. And a lot of voiceover work comes from, a lot of good voiceover comes from a director pushing and prodding until they get something unique. Right. Um Totally shifting gears, though. Were True. there any guest stars that you particularly enjoyed having on set? Getting back to ER. <laughs> yeah, no, we do need to talk about ER, right? That's what. And we... eventually, kind of, but we got to set the tone, man. Um... Set it. <laughs> there, go. there it is. There's the. Sorry. There's the clip. <laughs> That's the the PSA. Um, yeah. Guest stars. Yes, uh, we had so many amazing people. Um. Alan Alda is the first one that comes to mind. I said to Alan Alda, why are you doing this show? <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he said, listen, you can be very famous and still not be very rich. <laughs> That's a great That's answer. That's Alan Alda tale. Um, I loved that we had Rosemary Clooney on the show. That was a really neat moment uh, to see her sing uh, and George be there and that was really neat. Oh, gosh, there's so many. We had Kirsten Dunst. Mm-hmm. She was a cool uh, addition. We had Lucy Liu. We had, oh, you guys know better than me who all we had. But I, I just, I liked uh, I liked seeing different people come and bring their, you know, bring their different games. Um, Clancy Brown we had. Mm-hmm. I was a huge fan of his from uh, um, The Highlander. Right. He was the villain in the first Highlander. He's so good. Uh, so that was cool. <laughs> um, so many. I mean, it's almost impossible. I think Buzz Aldrin was there once. You know, wow. it's not just actors. It's We had a very, very... Uh, I have an episode with Scotty Pippen, who was a huge oh, yeah. basketball star. <laughs> um, and I don't... I don't pay attention to basketball at all, but everybody else was really excited about him being there. Uh, Don Cheadle was amazing on the show. Uh, And directors, you know, we had Quentin Tarantino. That was pretty cool. He was hot, hot shit on a shingle at that time. Are we cursing on this? Absolutely. Go for it. The more, the better. Totally. (laughs) It, it, you know, it's a really long list. It's, it, it all kind of mashes together, as I said to you guys before, but, Mm -hmm. um, that definitely the Alan Alda bit stands out. Uh, I'd be interested to hear. I guess I'm gonna have to go listen to this podcast so I can hear what other people say. <laughs> oh about. gosh, as many as well, many times have... as we've like worshipped at the altar of Jerry, that would be a little embarrassing. Like we've kind of gushed over right. you at different points, so that would be. <laughs> oh, that's <fine. laughs> just, just 
And you could you could just go selectively listen to the interview episodes that pop yeah. up and right. just just don't don't listen to us scream at Jerry for hours at a time <laughs> oh. about giving everybody staff. Now that we've talked, you guys are going to watch other episodes and you're going to be like, oh, he's not. Oh, no, no, <laughs> no, you'll, I can guarantee that does not happen because we talked to Gloria Rubin and we're still like, oh, my God, Jeannie. You did talk to Gloria. We did mm-hmm. talk to Gloria. Oh, my God. Spoken. What a, what a career she's had since. Yeah. Back at she, singer Patina Turner. That's not a bad gig. She was generous enough to make. That's what I said. The pandemic's been great to us. <laughs> she was generous enough to make some time for us. So, we've we've spoken to quite a lot of the early, early ensemble. That's cool. So in the season twelve finale, Jerry is unfortunately shot and severely wounded, and it's left as a cliffhanger until the following season whether or not he survives. As far as you are aware, was it always the plan for you to come back? Um, you know, even if it's just for that one episode in season 13 and continue on, or was there always a possibility that that was going to be the end for Jerry? <laughs> I, I knew that I had the one episode, but I have, see again, I had no guarantee the whole time. Mm-hmm. So it could have, they could have killed me if they wanted to. I, I was very happy they didn't, but uh, I did not know. I did not know until we shot the episode. That was kind of a that was kind of a linchpin moment for us too. We were like, if they kill Jerry, that's it. We're done. We're we're done with the show. Kill Jerry. <laughs> Wait, you still had you still had Frank. That'd be fine. I want to tell you guys, the blood was so cold. Every, every episode you watch, when you see somebody laying in a pool of blood on a gurney, that blood is freezing cold. Ugh. Just so you know, and sticky, and delicious. Oh, <laughs> is it like corn syrup or? Ugh, gross. So, uh, <laughs> Howard, <laughs> uh, gonna so, go eat lunch after this. Yeah. Yeah. So, getting into kind of the end of the show and wrapping things up, you were one of a small handful of characters that was there for the very beginning of the show as well as the very end of the show. And we've heard mm-hmm. from other folks from the show kind of about the wide range of emotions that they experienced as the show was coming to an end some feeling like it was you know bittersweet others feeling like a sense of relief of like I can't wait to move on and do something else what was your kind of experience how did filming that last episode and closing the chapter on this or closing the book on this 15 year chapter of your career how did how did that impact you oh man um so the pilot was directed by a fellow named Rod Holcomb and he came back to do the last episode as well. So there was a real sense of closure. There was a real sense of, of a circle, you know, like the serpent eating its own tail coming together. Um, people were taking parts of the set home. John Stamos took home the host- the ambulance bay doors. Like, what the heck are you going to do with those? Bro? <laughs> Who knows what he did with them? Maybe he sleeps on them. Um, <laughs> Um, it was, it was a strange relief and anxious episode because how can you say goodbye to all those people? Right. It's something like 300 people involved on a regular basis on the show. Um, and obviously I didn't work with every single person. I'm not up in at the crack of dawn with the set painters or whatever, but, uh, saw them enough to sort of know all these people and we'd gone through marriages and divorces and babies and death and uh, the entirety of a human experience 
was was uh, was had by that group of people uh, in a very sort of accelerated and focused, concentrated way. Like I said, the atmosphere of the ER stage was very thick, and no more, never more so than that last episode. As you know, we'd finish a scene in in um, in Operations Two, and they'd start tearing it down. It's like, wow. oh shit, this is real. They're really not going to do this show anymore. Uh, and I, just so much gratitude for all the doors that it kicked open, not only for me, but for everybody on the show. I couldn't be, like I said earlier, I couldn't be more proud of those, especially those original six and everything they've gone on to do. You know, it's not every human you meet who's going to champion the refugees of Darfur, you know? Right. It's not every human you meet who's going to take his TV money and turn it into a shoe company for kids in Africa, like Anthony Edwards has done. And when you get to spend time with that caliber of people, it's humbling, and it reminds you of how we can how we can be. I'm a little verklempt. <laughs> I'm a little verklempt, so there you go. So out of all those 15 years, 12 seasons, is there a specific memory from your time on the show that stands out as particularly memorable or personally significant? Uh, so many. Um, we had done a, uh, a golf tournament that was a benefit for kids with autism. And one of our prop masters uh we had two guys named rick who were the prop masters uh and his kid had had been autistic and that was sort of my first experience knowing someone who had had, was going through that and i really just appreciated that everybody on the show understood that we had a responsibility to promote um good things in life and that we were able to use our audience. We were able to use the fame and the success to do good things for other people. Mm-hmm. I think that was a huge part of, of what was great about ER uh, and why people appreciate it, you know? Yeah. Um, as far as like, I don't know, we got to talk about Deezer D because mm-hmm. yeah, I haven't talked to anybody about this yet, so... Please forgive me. Um, so Deezer D played the nurse Malik, and uh, he passed away earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but he and I were really close on the show, and like I said, he and Troy and I would make fun of other people. And I honestly think I might have been a bigger asshole if I hadn't had Deezer D to keep me in check on that show. <laughs> I mean, anytime I started getting a big head, he'd be like, "Man, you ain't nothing." Come on now, get right and point it. You stick a finger in your face like this and go, ha, 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 and just laugh at you. He did something dumb. And he'd do that to everybody. You know, he did that to Eric LaSalle. Um, so, <laughs> D was a, was a, a, <laughs> Deezer D was a good man. Uh, he was sober. He was a, a preacher. Uh, he helped other people get sober. Uh, and again, that goes back to what I just said about when you work with quality people, uh, it really changes your life. Probably my favorite Deezer D story is 
uh, George Clooney's assistant, a wonderful woman named Amy Cohen, had asked all of us to record a short video for George's 50th birthday. And what Deezer D did was he printed out, he got uh, George's headshot, about 12 uh, different headshots, and he put them on these iron posts and scattered them around a basketball court and then proceeded to dribble through them and dunk on them and, like, push George's face over. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen anybody do ever. And I, I that's, that's Deezer D. That's, it's genius. I don't know if that would ever surface, but if anybody hears this and you have that footage, please share it. Then I'll give you one more story that's less tear jerking. <laughs> um, got invited to a party at Eric LaSalle's house for a boxing match. Big, big, like nice house, nothing too ostentatious, but uh, it was the first time I'd been to a celebrity filled party. And it was the boxing match uh, of Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson. And everybody was dressed to the nines. It was many, many, many African-American movie stars and actors. Mm -hmm. I I was just astonished by the level of fashion that was at this uh, house party for a boxing match. Everybody's excited. Big match. 20 seconds in, Mike Tyson bites the ear off of Vander Holyfield. <laughs> and the entire party is, like, destroyed. Everybody oh. was like, oh, it's outrageous. It was the, such this big scandal. And I just remember thinking, isn't this what we're doing? Isn't spectacle what we're all here for? <laughs> and I, I will never forget that moment because it, it, <laughs> it reminded me that... Uh, expectations always fail <laughs> uh, so that's my that's my next tattoo expectations go. always fail oh, there you oh. go. you've got to be adaptable you know that's mm-hmm. uh, that's the actor's life for sure but uh, I, I there's so many memories I could talk to you guys about this obviously for 15 years but uh, too much and what else I mean, do you want to know? I mean, we can always have a part two say, if you ever, you know, if if, if you ever get bored again and like I'm going to come talk to these freaks, <laughs> we got time. Yeah. Um, but one of the things we like to do is we like to turn things over to our listeners and fans of the show to see if they have any, you know, burning questions. And one of them we touched on a little bit, but if there's anything you kind of want to add, was how is video game or animation voice work different to the live action experience? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, for one, I can do uh, voiceover in my underwear, <laughs> and I often always do. a plus. <laughs> I'm revealing that secret t- to the Nickelodeon people now. I've recorded <laughs> oh, most, God. most of Pony in my underwear. Um, <laughs> hey, there's there's more time to play. If I've if I go into a voiceover session, it's maybe an hour or two hours. Sometimes it's a little bit longer, but within that two hours, you're just playing the whole time, and they're willing to try stuff. And once they have the take they want, they let you improvise for the most part. Um, so that's a lot of fun. It's less people. Uh, it might just be a director, a recording engineer, and me in the booth, or it might be maybe half a dozen people or other cast. Um, making a TV show or a film is one of the most collaborative 
art forms available to us and you really you can do it alone now but when we were making er you could not do it alone you know the, it, just the camera team alone is like 20 people mm-hmm. so there's a difference in 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 your uh your required interaction how about that and then the other fan question that we have is, with how often Jerry's scenes revolved around comedy, did you ever wish that you got to do more of the dramatic type of scenes on the show? Uh, we touched on that earlier. A, but, a little you know, bit, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, you're good. No, I, <laughs> I'm not opposed to doing that kind of work. I just, for that show, I was not the best candidate to, to get real serious. You know, mm-hmm. my, uh, there were really, really talented people who could dredge up really intense feelings on that show uh and maybe i'm not that guy so getting into kind of what you're doing now or what you've been doing since er are there any projects that you're working on currently you kind of touched on that a little bit but any projects you're working on currently and how can fans keep up with your work outside of er uh sure um <clears throat> i'm actually here in uh, livingston montana a beautiful place where they've shot a lot of films uh, I'm working on an independent Western, and I thought I was allowed to tell you who's in it, but I guess I'm not. <laughs> uh, so you can follow the Old Way movie on Instagram, and all will be revealed. Um, some really cool, uh, really cool people <laughs> working on it. <laughs> and um, I have that show on Nickelodeon. It's Pony. What else am I doing? That's it, really. You know, the pandemic sort of walloped all of us. Yeah. Uh, and I was kind of floundering a little bit before that anyway. So uh, those are the two things that are coming. Okay. Bosch. I have an episode of Bosch. That's another great show that Troy Evans is on. He plays a, a bumbling detective, kind of. <laughs> uh, but uh, on Amazon, the Bosch, based on a series of crime novels by... Uh, that, and they did a really good job with that show, actually, and Troy's great on it. So, and then one final question, and this is one that we've made a habit out of asking every person we've talked to from the show. Um, what do you think it's important for fans of ER to know about it from your unique perspective? In other words, when you think back on your time on the show, what would you want fans to know about the experience that wouldn't necessarily be clear just from watching the show? I think you've already gotten a lot of that from me. <laughs> yeah. But I would add... Um... Everybody you see on screen, TV, movies, even now on social media and TikTok and whatever else, we're all humans. Mm -hmm. Even Steven Spielberg has to poop in the morning. (laughs) And when he came to the set, uh, I couldn't help but just think that the whole time. (laughs) Here's this world famous director who's made some of the greatest films ever put on screen but he still has to get up and poop in the morning (laughs) so when you go to that next avengers film and you're watching those boys and girls in their tight outfits (laughs) just remember how hard it is to get out of those outfits when you have to oh man (laughs) (laughs) that might be and with that i'm that might be without without qualification might be my favorite answer we've ever had to that question (laughs) and and with that, I'm never going to be nervous about doing another one of these oh ever again. So gosh. thank you. 
Oh, wow. Perfect. That was the best possible answer for that oh. question. We might, have, we might have to retire that question now because <laughs> right? I don't so, know how that's going to be topped. <laughs> oh. Plus, I got in real close on the mic. It's all buttery. Yeah. Mm. Oh. So fun. Oh. Daniel, want to take us out? Uh, yeah, that's I. how could I possibly follow that? Uh, th- <laughs> just thank you for taking the time to talk to us and uh, – we appreciate everything you did, not only on the show, but also for us here this afternoon. Uh, well, let me say to you and your audience that um, to to have so much love for uh, something that happened, you know, 20 years ago, it, it's really heartening to an actor uh, to know that people still care about stuff that we did in the past. And uh, just really grateful for everybody's attention and love for the show and uh, really grateful to have been a part of it and touched so many lives.